Take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter 2. We'll be there in just a moment. We've been in a, we were in a series, let me qualify that. We were in a series in January and February called Churches We Know It, and we were going through our philosophical statements of who we are and what we believe as a church family. We could say these messages have been designed to be the how do, or how do we do what we do uh, here at the church. And so we put it on pause when Brother Mike began preaching. Uh, and then when Brother Mike was done, of course, he still has one more to do. He's in the lobby and recovering and getting closer. Uh, we're hoping maybe the middle of July, if not early fall, uh, for him to finish his series since he broke several bones in his foot. But uh, I have hesitated to go back and start this series back up, not because we don't know them, but I want to make sure when we start them back up, I can go linear through and complete uh, the series. I don't like always breaking up series. I like keeping them together so we can think on them. Uh, together, And so we're going to do them tonight and next Sunday night. Then we come together on June the 5th. I probably won't do it that night. It'll be the graduation night. We have four young people from the high school level that will be celebrating and, and uh, honoring that night or noting. And then uh, the next week we'll do it. And then it's Father's Day. So we will do these messages. But I wanted to remind us or review just briefly before we jump into tonight's message where we've been in the philosophy, right? What is church? mean to us? How do we do church uh, as a body here at Bluegrass? And we noted first what there was a philosophy or a core value of ministry. And we look, looked at the Word of God, but here was that core value in its simplicity. We said this, as ministers of Jesus Christ, each member of Bluegrass Baptist Church is expected to serve, is to be educated for service, so that excellent ministry is the result. In other words, we don't ever want to do something haphazardly here. We don't want to accidentally stumble into some kind of thing. Because if you go about life that way, then you will never do things in an appropriate way. So ministry is really the heart of what we're talking about. Then we talked about leadership. And here was the philosophical statement or the core value on that. We said this on leadership. Leadership is for every believer who, who, who through genuine consistency upholds a godly character while graciously conducting their daily lives. In other words, it is for us to be consistent in our character and in our conduct. It is then and only then that someone rises to the position of leader. We all want to boss people around, but that's not what a leader in a church is. It's not a boss. It's not a know-it-all. Uh, the leader in a church is a servant of all, just like Jesus Christ was. And so we noted that our philosophy on leadership is that anyone that ever grows to leadership in a church like ours ought to be one that is willing to serve anyone, anywhere, at any time. We then noted, <clears throat> excuse me, our philosophy of music. I think I left out philosophy of worship in my notes, but we did talk about worship uh, as well. But then we talked about our philosophy of music. We said this, our church music will do three things. It will acquaint us with God. It will admonish us towards that which is good, and it will always allow us to grow in grace. So in other words, we're not going to get caught up in all of the cultural icons of CCM. We're not going to be sucked into that. Not because there can't be good truth passed in them, but that truth is never actually building us towards a holy standard of who God is. And that's what we talked about when we talked about worship. Our church music will do those three things. They will, one, acquaint us with his very character— 
They will, it will admonish us towards that which is good and right in the world, and it will allow us to grow in grace as believers here. We then went on to talk about preaching, and in preaching we noted this. Preaching at Bluegrass Baptist Church will always accomplish its purpose to exhort, edify, and enhance the believer. It will also act in power, displaying a surrendered will, demonstrating the Spirit's wisdom, and declaring the Savior's work in each of the sermons or throughout the sermons. It will also be after the pattern of convicting, charging, and comforting the believers who hear it. In other words, when a message is prepared from this and preached from this pulpit, again, it's not just, well, what I came up with this week, I got struck by the spiritual lightning and I gave you a message. No, the messages here are to build and enhance who you are in Christ. It's why we gather. It's worship. Where where we left was with discipleship. And here's what we said about discipleship. And tonight's message really dovetails off of discipleship because we're going to talk about fellowship tonight. But here's what discipleship we defined or put as our philosophy several weeks ago now, probably eight weeks ago now. Discipleship at Bluegrass, we said, is an effort to enhance a believer's relationship with God. We do that, if you remember that or recall in that message, by informing, transforming, and, and conforming them to the image of Jesus Christ. We also noted that, that this happens by establishing in them an understanding of the Bible and by encouraging them to seek others to disciple. In other words, once you have established yourself in a pattern of growth and are becoming and have become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you ought to go find others to disciple in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that brings us to tonight's message. It brings us to what we are here gathered to talk about this evening. In the Bible here, in Acts chapter number 2, pick up the reading with me in verse number 42. And the Bible says this. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's open a word of prayer and we'll dive right into the message this evening. Father, I pray that you'll help us as we understand the truth, know it, and do it. Bless all that is said in this hour in Jesus' name. Amen. Are discipleship and fellowship the same thing? It's Sunday night. We can let our hair down a little bit if we have to. Are they the same thing? No. Can we note some differences between discipleship and fellowship? Intentional teaching and discipleship. Okay. Discipleship is bonding with Christ. Fellowship is bonding with one another, with each other. The Bible does say that we have fellowship with Christ, though. So do we confuse those words? Do we conflate those words? Here, here's the point. A lot of churches will put the two ideas inextricably linked. I think they are biblically linked, but they are uniquely their own category. Discipleship is more interpersonal, one-on-one, -on -one, whereas fellowship is more collegial. It's more in a group. It's more in a congregational-type setting. 
It doesn't mean that if Edwin and I went to lunch, we couldn't leave and have a great time of fellowship with each other. But if we were going to lunch with a purpose to learn something from the word of God or to communicate a truth one to another or to chew on a piece of uh, a spiritual topic or a piece of Bible truth, then we would be doing so with the endeavor of growing closer to God in discipleship. So they are linked, but they're unique. And so in that vein tonight, we're going to use the same three words, enhance, establish, and encourage. Because I think there is a, an understanding to what we're going to drive home tonight, and that is what our philosophy of fellowship is around this church. Discipleship is growing closer to God in the sense that our church addresses it, while fellowship within our body is growing closer to each other as we grow closer to God. We can't have real strong fellowship if we are at all different spectrums along the spiritual journey. Fellowship has to have agreement in it. I have very little fellowship with the people that are out marching for abortion rights. Why? They're killing children in the womb. And loving it all the while. You can see the satanic culture oozing out of them. Why would I have fellowship with them? And Paul asks that obvious question of can we have fellowship? Can Christ have fellowship with Belial? Can they have communion together? And the answer is no. And so we understand that there has to be an agreement. So what is fellowship properly from the New Testament? 20 times the word koinonia is used. And we understand that word to be fellowship, agreement, association, community, communion, or participation in a joint effort. I put in your notes there. In the New Testament, this word means partnership for mutual benefit of those involved. In other words, when you agree to fellowship here, you are mutually involving, you're involving yourself, I should say, mutually for the benefit of others involved in that very same fellowship. I'll give you a perfect example. Just before church night, there were some 20 of us up here in choir. We were fellowshipping in music, some more than others, because some can read music, and they know music, and the rest of us are just hoping we hit the right note. But we are trying to fellowship in that. We are mutually involved for the benefit of all. And ultimately, the goal in the choir's singing on a Sunday morning within the music philosophy here is to edify and lift up the name of Jesus Christ and encourage the believer to be drawn into a deeper relationship with him. But we are fellowshipping in that. And so we understand this word or this concept of fellowship. We can say then that Christian fellowship is mutually beneficial relationship between Christians. That's what I mean by this topic tonight. This is what we will be covering. Our discussion then on a philosophy of fellowship encompasses not our fellowship with God, though that is important. We would classify that as discipleship here but rather on our fellowship with one another. I would submit the following thesis of our philosophy of fellowship, and that is this. Fellowship at Bluegrass is designed to enhance fellow believers' relationship by establishing connection and encouraging participation in all who attend this place. Now notice I didn't say the membership. In other words, fellowship is designed to go beyond just the members of this place. Fellowship ought to take place with the members of this place, but it's designed in the way that we've built it here to also bring in those who are outside of the sphere of church membership. Now let's study these statements 
this evening for some understanding. First, let's, let's study enhancing relations with other believers, number one in our outlines. The first objective of fellowship is to enhance or deepen our relationships with fellow believers within this local body. How do we do that? Any ideas? This is that Sunday night that feels like a Wednesday night message series. Food. Food. That's the Baptist way. How do you reach their heart? Through their stomach. Life stage. Life stage. You know, ostensibly, that is the operation. When we started the life stages way back in the beginning of the church, there was one. And then there was two. And now there's six. And soon there's probably going to be seven, eight, or nine different life stages. But what are the life stages? Well, the life stages are what we call the operational arm of the church. If Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night are the worship arm of the church, well, how do we then go out and do Christian life with other Christians? And the answer is, again, very loosely defined this way, through the life stages. Of course, there's ladies' prayer groups that meet together. There's men of faith that meet on Saturday morning. There's women's ministries that are going to have the crafts and coffee. There's moms that meet in the park. There's all kinds of opportunities and ways that we fellowship as a body, but we've established, essentially, the life stage fellowships for that end. But my question still remains, how do we enhance the relationships with other believers? Is it just talking about politics? That's a good way to divide relations amongst believers. Well, we start letter A by a shared faith or through a shared faith. Look here in our very text in verses 42 and 43. The Bible says, and they. Who is the they here? The church. Good. They continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. And in breaking of bread and in prayers. And what happened? Fear or reverence and respect came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So they felt the presence of God, that's the fear that came upon them, and they understood the power of God, that was the wonders and the miracles that were done through them. In other words, when the church was healthy, when the church was fellowshipping as it should with itself, with each other, and strengthening each other, as their relationships were enhanced, their ministry grew, their impact doubled. Tripled in some cases, multiplied in other cases. The point is, it was all built upon what? Shared faith. I cannot have fellowship with darkness if I'm living and walking in the light. In fact, John tells us this in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Here's what the Bible says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifest, and we've seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. John's giving his own testimony up to this point, but notice how he pivots. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the shared faith that builds our fellowship. We don't come in here because we have the same political views. That may be a byproduct of biblical worldviews. But we don't come in here because we like the same sports teams. Zach still hasn't figured out to like the Bengals, even though he's a Steelers fan. The point is, we don't gather together because of what we have in this realm of the world. Rather, we gather in fellowship because of who, who and what we have in Jesus Christ. It's fellowship. 
He goes on, and these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship where? One with another. Do you know when churches start falling apart? It's when many, many families decide they're no longer going to walk in the light. Well, it's because the pastor was corrupted. That may be. But it ultimately boils down to the people that make up the body have no longer a shared faith in which they can fellowship in. I heard of a church, again, nearby recently that has been at least doctrinally sound. And now they have all kinds of differing pastors of hymns and hers. And I think, where do you find that in the Bible? And it won't be long until the people of that place are wholly turned over from what, what used to be good Bible-believing Christians, likely, to people now that are just following the cultural norms of the day. We don't have fellowship in that sense. He goes on, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. That is the shared faith that we have. This is the essential starting point for all fellowship within the church. We cannot enhance our relationships one with another without first starting at the point of salvation. We, Jessica and I, have had now 2,500 people in our home in 14 years of being a pastor. We host people every Monday night and every Tuesday night in our home. And in hosting those families in our home, there are two questions we always ask. In fact, this week, Grady was in our house, and he's a single guy. I did not ask him the first question. So first question is, tell us how you met and got married. He's a single guy. He can't answer that one yet. We're trying to help him with that. But the point is, is that he can't answer that yet, right? And the second one was... Tell us how you got saved. I can't tell you how many times in the conversation around our table, people have said, well, I really just don't know. Thank you very much. Let me introduce Christ to you, right? That's my purpose as a pastor. That's what I'm supposed to be doing, carrying the good news. But we find, and Jessica and I have found through the years, that if someone is not living, they may claim Christ as their Savior, but have a muddled testimony of salvation. If someone is not living or walking in the faith, the dinners that are there, we try to keep them happy and cordial and going in a direction that is uplifting, but they very often go, why? Well, because you're an elitist and you don't want to talk to unbelievers. No, it's just we run out of things to talk about. So how's the weather at your house? Is your car running okay? You like your job? What crazy has happened this week? But when we are in Christ, we can talk about all of these things but have context to them. So back to what we talked about this morning, the eternal values. So, so letter A, it's through shared faith, but letter B, it's through the settings that are familiar. Here in our passage in Acts chapter 2, we find there has to be a familiarity. There has to be something that bonds us together. These philosophies are those things. There are a lot of good New Testament churches in central Kentucky. Now, I started this one 14 years ago with my wife and I, and I think it's one of the better ones, but I'm kind of biased, okay? You don't have to believe me. Your members here, most of you, so you would say, yeah, we came to this church for a reason. So there's shared values beyond just our faith. There's some familiar things, ways that we try to operate, things that we try to do, things that we try to avoid doing in this place. 
So where do you find that in the Word of God? Acts is the, is the study book for anybody that wants to be a pastor or to preach or to hold down the, uh, a leadership position in a church. And it says it right here in our passage. In verse number 46, the Bible tells us that the early church dealt with the familiar. What everyone was equally aware of and shared in common. In verse number 46, it says, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They had a clarity in their purpose. Their agreement, their participation, their fellowship was strong and united. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Notice two things that they leaned on for their familiarity. The temple. Now, we don't have the temple. We have a church. By the way, a church is not this building. This building is a tool. The church is us. But when we come together as us, and we'll see this in our final point this evening, in this place together, then we are coming into a familiar setting. Why is it so important to be here as often as you can? And the answer is because you build a familiarity with one another. There is a fondness. There is a bond of brotherhood and sisterhood. There is the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, our faith. But then there is shared life experiences. All of these people before Jesus Christ and during his ministry, until his resurrection, they all worshipped at this temple. In other words, the early church was built in fellowship around that which was familiar to them. So churches of the New Testament ilk are going to be very similar. How many have traveled around the world quite a bit, or maybe around our country? Raise your hand real high. Have you found good churches, those that raise your hand? Have you found good churches where you've gone? Nope and yes. Edward wasn't looking. He was probably vacationing. <laughs> Generally speaking, with maybe an exception or two, you can find, no matter how big or little it is, a good New Testament church somewhere. It may not do everything that you think it should do, and it may not be perfect in your eyes, but you can find a church that is preaching the Word of God in truth, in clarity. You can find that Around the globe. Why? Because the Bible says of itself and of the church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Bible tells us that where the word goes forth, it will not come back to the Lord void. And so we find that, yes, there is a familiarity, but it's built around, again, not just our shared faith, but the doctrinal beliefs that we have. The other thing that we see in that same verse is not only did they go to the temple, it says they went where? House to house. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on this one. When was the last time you hosted someone at your house? Well, Pastor, we just, you know, we are financially strapped. I understand that. I didn't draw a salary from this place for the first three years. I understand financially strapped. Popcorn and water are fine to treat someone to if you're opening your home to them. Here's the point. You can never become familiar with your fellow church member if you never spend time with them. Right. Do you know why we have church at 5 o'clock? It's so I can get home in time to watch the Bengals and the Super Bowl. <laughs> Until this year, that made no sense. After this year, probably will still make no sense. 
Do we do it for sports? Well, you know, the kids got school the next day most of the time, during the fall, the winter, and the early spring, and so that's why you did it. No, we did it so that you could be done with church, worship, and then still have time on the weekend to fellowship. Well, it gives me time to get my grass cut. Thank you so much, Pastor. The church services around here are designed so that you can find time of fellowship because I know your lives are busy. My life is busy. But fellowship around the familiar is essential. Right. Yeah. It's necessary. Their homes were familiar as a focused place of congregation, while the temple was a familiar place of central congregation. That's what you take from verse number 46. They understood that when they met from home to home, they could converse. They could really get to know each other. I doubt someone's going to share a deep burden with you while you're standing in the aisle at church. They might. You might find somebody like that. But it's usually going to be on one-on-one time. I have found through the years the people that I've had to counsel or been helped to or spent some time in hospitality with or been in fellowship with on a one-on-one basis, the deep conversations rarely happen in this building. They either happen at our house or at their house. Or at a steakhouse, at somewhere else. But it doesn't happen standing here. It doesn't mean it can't. It's just that we think of this place as a place of congregation. Our familiarity in that is more of a worship sense. Fellowship happens here for some degree, but mostly outside of here. That's what we find in this passage of Scripture. We want our life stages, as we noted in the beginning... To be the connection point for people in the church. It is not the only way that people connect in the church. But those who are our life stage directors know because they have it repeatedly said to them. Your job is to go find the people in your group. When someone visits this church and they fill out a connection card. That connection card on Monday, Kathy Marshall sends to the life stage director. Who contacts that person hopefully by Monday or Tuesday night. We don't want 48 hours of moss to grow under the feet of someone that God has brought into our midst as a guest here. Now you might be thinking, hey, when I came it was more than 48 hours. Well, if you came during the pandemic, we were having a hard time. Everybody was. But that still is no excuse. It's to bring you into fellowship here. Because if you don't even have faith in Jesus Christ, by at least communing with us or participating with us, joining with us in other activities, you're going to see the faith of Christ demonstrated. That's the purpose of fellowship. It is to enhance the relations with other believers. That's what it's designed to do. Second, we find that fellowship is establishing connections within the body. That is different than relations. Connections are things that lead, are a means to an end. They lead to something. The Acts Church began finding particular defined roles, if you were to continue to read from our passage in chapter 2 and forward. You would find that the apostles settled into the preaching and pastoring roles as they would meet from house to house. One of my favorite stories in the early chapters of the book of Acts is when Peter and John are taken to the Sanhedrin and they come back to someone's house and they tell them what happened. When Peter is taken into prison in chapter 12 and he's released by the angel and he comes to the young lady at the gate and she's so happy she forgets to let him in. But she runs back in the house and say our prayers were answered. That is all. Those are all elements or aspects of fellowship. Ways in which we agree and mutually work together. 
In Acts chapter 6, you would find the connection of a deacon is instituted for the church. It is established as an important or primary role within the body to serve its purpose for God's glory. But there are two passages in the Word of God that we know very well about how the individual in his connection or her connection and their role within fellowship or partnership or agreement that that individual can play within the health of that particular church body. Solid connections within the church body are essential to the church's success. Disconnected, disjointed people that just show up on Sunday morning, while they are a blessing for those that count the numbers of people that come, they don't add health to the body. Fellowship, connection within the body. You being established in who you are, not just in Christ, but within the body of Christ here at Bluegrass. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll go there and to Romans chapter 12 this evening. Two passages that we know very well and have been used often. We are not going to address this evening, particularly the spiritual gifts aspect of it. That is a message wholly unto itself. We pick up our reading in verse number 7. The Bible there says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to whom? Every man. Every woe man, as Adam called her in the book of Genesis. In other words, every person that's a member of the church, there is given a manifestation of the Spirit. That means the manifestation or the obvious working of the Spirit of God in them. For what end? To what purpose? To profit you. Is that what it says? What's it say? To profit, profit with all. That means with us all together in that sense. If you go down to verse number 12, we continue reading. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been, a, been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. Is, is it therefore not of the body, Paul asked rhetorically? If the whole body were not. Kind of think of that, what's that monster on the Disney movie? Every time I read this verse, that's who I think of. Mike was out, somebody was mouthing. That big, I got kids, I know. If the whole body were not, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now have God set the members. What does it say next? Every one of them in the body. As it have pleased the pastor so that he can tell them what to do. No, that's why I put them on the screen. One of these days I'm going to type it wrong on the screen and really throw you off. <laughs> and if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you, nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble or those that are the weakest are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts, the older I get, the more I have, have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together. In other words, he has structured it and fit it together. 
Temperate has the idea of someone putting mortar on a brick and making sure that it holds fast with the appropriate setting. Having given more abundant honor to that part, that part which lacked, that there should be no what schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Here's how Paul says it to the Romans, a very similar idea in chapter 12 of Romans, verses 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. You get the idea of mutual benefit for one another. These are the two most often cited passages of our connection to the local body, and it's through fellowship Yes, discipleship will help you discern what your spiritual gift is so that you know how to use it. But if you've never been participating in the church, it's going to be awful hard for you to walk in one day and say, I have the gift of teaching. And someone's going to look at you and say, you've never been here. You've never participated in anything. If you're not willing to fellowship or have agreement and participation with one another, what good is that? I'm here. I'm God's gift to this church. Well, good. Let us see more of you so that we can understand that. <laughs> By the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what is the very next chapter that comes after that? 13. Good. Some of you were trying to see if I tricked you. What is 1 Corinthians 13 teaching? Love. Charity. By the way, when you start to figure out who you are in the body and who God has made you within that body, it is important for you within that body to always exercise it in love. Go back to Romans chapter 12. Because we find there Paul condenses not just 1 Corinthians 13, but he condenses in Romans 12 having talked about the body and the fellowship that the body has to have with each other, the partnership. In Romans chapter 12, we pick up our reading in verse number 9, and the Bible there says this, Let love, now what has he said up to this point? From the verses before, verses 4 through 6, he talks about gifts. In verses 6 through 8, he says what those gifts are in the body. But notice what he says in verse number 9. Let love be without dissimulation. What does that word mean? It means hypocrisy. You can't fake fellowship. One of the things... I even hesitate to say this, but one of the things that Jessica and I always marvel at, we, we always comment on families who when we see their children, again, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. The family's supposed to be in the mornings right now. That's when I get in trouble. But they don't have their kids' face always in a phone. We've had folks come to our house, and the entire time they're sitting at our house having conversation and fellowship with us. And it's like, man, that thing owns you. There's a lot of hypocrisy in fellowship that says, oh, man, I really care about you. I think you're the greatest. Hey, listen, let me just tell you. What was that? I'm sorry, what? In fact, for my birthday this year, I'm going to a dumb phone. That's right. Same time, we're releasing a church app. But anyway, I'm going to a dumb phone. Why? I'm tired of it trying to dominate my life. I get texts all the time, all hours of the day. Some of them are needed. I understand that. He says, let love be without dissimulation. Don't exercise love one towards another in a hypocritical way. 
abhor or hate that which is evil, cleave or hold to that which is good, he says. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. He literally, in that one phrase there, says love as a parent, love as a brother. The first word is philostorgos, which is Philadelphia, or love that is uh, of affectionate kind, but it's also of a familial kind. In honor, he goes on and says, preferring one another. That means value and prefer others. Not slothful in business. Be energetic, fervent in spirit. That is earnest. Serving the Lord. That is engaged. Rejoicing in hope. That has great expectations. Patient in tribulation. Great endurance. Continuing instant in prayer. Great dependency. Distributing to the necessity of saints. Stewardship. Given to hospitality. Service. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. In other words, be positive instead of negative. By the way, I thought while I was preparing this message, what do we often say? What goes around comes around. How did Jesus actually say it? He said it in the positive way. Do good unto the others, and they'll do good unto you. In other words, the positive side of life is the side we ought to live on if we're Christians. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. In other words, be a precious saint to another precious soul. Be of the same mind one toward another. Be purposeful. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. In other words, be humble. To establish connection, then, we find from these two passages that we must first, letter A in our notes, learn our place. Or placement where God has set us. What are you? Jessica sometimes will tell me I'm the funny bone. Maybe that's my role in the church. I don't know. What are you in the church? And the answer is, you and God decide that, not me. But if you're going to participate in fellowship here, if you're going to engage in the process of connecting with this body, you're going to find your place, and you're going to find it pretty quickly. Who are you? Why are you here? My eyeball never tries to do my smelling. You know, the, the Bible is so plain, and yet we don't do it because we're like, it's so hard. It really isn't. That's essentially what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The foot doesn't do the, you know, my hands never do my walking. When I was a kid, I could do a handstand and maybe go one or two steps. That's all I could do. But I'm not walking around everywhere like that. You were created uniquely you. God made you. He placed you within this church family for his reasons, not mine. Notice I didn't say for a reason. He has his reason for placing you in this body. If God has placed you, then it is incumbent upon you to figure out why he's placed you here. What can you do? What are your talents? What are your gifts? What are your likes? What are your dislikes? What stage of life are you in? Our life stages are, as I noted, the operational arm of our church. Do you know why you're a part of one that you are in? The only one that probably can definitively answer that is the forerunner. Yes, I know why I'm in that one. That's it. The others, do you know? The life stage directors might be able to give you a definition as to why you're in that group, but do you know? It's going to be hard to have familiar fellowship if you don't even know why you're a part of it. What it is that you're after. 
I put in my notes here, do we need more life stages because we keep growing? Likely the answer is yes. And guess what those life stages are going to need? <coughs> Leaders. Oh, Pastor, we're just going to wait till you come and tap us on the shoulder. How about you rise to the occasion yes. through participation and fellowship? Learning your placement gives way to loving your purpose. Your place opens the door for purpose. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 says this. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I'm going to pause. This is one entire sentence. This one entire sentence is telling us that God gave the church a pastor, not so the pastor could get rich or a big head or famous within fundamentalism. God forbid that ever happens in this place. But he gave the pastor so that he might perfect, mature the saints of that place so that they, in fellowship, could do the work of that place. Till we all come in the unity of the faith, or the culmination of it all, and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect, grown-up, mature man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, his body will be complete, in other words. That we, henceforth, be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, or cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in sacrifice or love, agape. It's essentially, what Paul has said here is your purpose within the connection to the body is to supply excuse me, is to supply, is to work in your ability or measure, which will then yield growth or make increase and strengthen us. It will edify us. Edification or edify means to build up, strengthen. So do you know what your role and purpose is within the body that God has for you? Fellowship is to enhance relation. Fellowship is to establish connection. And finally, Fellowship is to encourage participation in others. Take your Bible and go to Hebrews chapter 10, and I must hasten. Hebrews chapter 10, a passage we know so well. I want you to note as we read these, the let us phrases that appear three times in this little passage of 22 through 25. And it leads us to understand how our fellowship together encourages participation first in our holy worship. Notice verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from any evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. We find the first two let us statements in these first two verses of 22 and 23, and it teaches us of holy worship that we are to have. Verse 22, we find there is a purity in our collective worship. Fellowship, agreement, does this. We must be conscientious when we come to worship. 
according to verse number 22. It must be that worship that we are doing together in fellowship must be with a true heart, not with empty feelings. We must be confident when we come. There must be no natural hesitation about approaching God. He has told us to come, we're told in these verses. We must be cleansed, however, when we come. Our hearts must be sprinkled from evil conscience and our bodies with pure water or the washing of the water of the word. Where our sins are and have defiled us, we have forsaken them and repented. In verse 23, it's not that there is purity in our worship only, but there's purpose in it in verse 23. The second let us says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Gathering together in worship in corporate times allows for us to agree and edify each other on shared beliefs. This is not groupthink. That's usually the danger, isn't it? Well, I guess we just all think the same thing. I better yell amen right now. You ever found the guy in church that's nodding off and just randomly yells amen? <laughs> we had one of those one time in the church growing up. Don't even know if mom and dad remember, but I remember in the youth group a guy amen while they were disciplining somebody out of the church. <laughs> he had nodded off. It was a bad time to nod off. <laughs> it's not groupthink. There's nothing valuable or profitable in groupthink. Rather, participation in worship by many encourages others to then engage in that worship. That is shared fellowship. It is why we don't just sit at home and have me preach a message from a fancy television studio. We became comfortable during COVID having the preaching done. And many of us had to break off those shackles and come back and realize, no, there is a health and a warmth within the fellowship together. Profession of faith that we are to hold fast to is a forward-looking faith as well. Letter B in your notes there, it's not just a holy worship, it is a healthy workman. I'm not sure, these probably aren't in the notes back there. Drew's panicking, I can see it. It's okay, you're smart enough to write down worship and work, or working there. We provoke each other, in verse 24, stimulate each other to sacrifice, that is love, and service. That is good or beneficial works for one another. These are acts done one to another. Worship is done towards God, and we encourage others in those things. But coming together chiefly is for the benefit and blessing of seeing, knowing, and serving other workmen together. One believer will encourage another believer. They will help and stimulate another to even greater heights. It's been a joy as we watch the children's program. So many have volunteered instead of being voluntold to work back there. And the unity and the bond of fellowship that is built between people who heretofore had never known or met each other, but now there's two ladies working together in the back. It's one of the beautiful things about nursery, by the way. You want to get to know somebody? Change a diaper with them. <laughs> the kid doesn't care. They're too young. But you two ladies, when it's a stanky diaper, you become clothed real quick. Woo! I remember when my Johnny had it. There's a great fellowship that develops in that. I'm glad I have no part in it, and you are too. As Keith noted in the very beginning, our fellowship usually is around food here in the Baptist circles. 
It's around things that we're fond of, and those are fine, but it also ought to be around our faith, our family, and the future growth in Christ that we endeavor to have. The second thing that we find for the workman is in verse 25, it's that we prove our brotherhood and our bond. It's not rather that we just provoke one another from verse 24, it's that we prove our bond one to another. The Christian outside of Christian fellowship is like a coal that has fallen away from the fire. We have a gas grill now, but in the early days, we had one of those real tiny uh, charcoal grills. That's all we could afford, and, and we would light those fires, and Jessica and I could never figure out how to make it right until I figured out you're going to make it into a pyramid, essentially, and get the process of it burning going. Because I would spread it out, and the coal over here was never catching fire, and the coal over here was never catching fire. But when it's all together, and that fire is burning, and those coals are burning, when you see a piece fall off and roll away, what happens to that piece? It cools. It doesn't burn. The warmth in it is gone. It's exactly what verse 25 is saying. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The key to this verse is not forsaking the assembling together. This means don't choose to intentionally be separated from fellowship and the family. Rather, encourage participation in one another. The benefit of being together is the exhortation and encouragement. When we are isolated in our experience and our earthly sojourn from other Christians, we begin the process of deterioration as opposed to exhortation. Together, we encourage, we comfort, we console, we build hope into one another. So in closing tonight, I hope as a church family we are always a warm and welcoming bunch. But that all depends upon our desire to fellowship, to jointly agree to be mutually beneficial to one another. Fellowship at Bluegrass, as I stated in the beginning, is designed to enhance fellow believers' relationships by establishing connection and encouraging participation in all who attend this place. I hope you will always participate in this local assembly called Bluegrass. We'll close in a